Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. All right. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. I hope you're having a beautiful day today. Uh, for today's episode, I have a very special guest. Uh, she is an awesome, awesome yoga instructor who I think needs the needs like the world needs to know about her because she is like queen of handstands. And I told her earlier that we weren't going to talk about handstands, and we're not. But um, we're just going to talk about yoga and all the beautiful things that have been happening in her life. And so I'd like to welcome to the show my friend and awesome, awesome spirit soul, Neha. Neha. She is from Dubai, <laughs> by the way, just so you know, because it's been interesting trying to schedule this with the, uh, the time differences. So she <laughs> comes to you live from Dubai. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. So uh, to start our episode I will flip through the roulette of poems and this one is called dividing God dividing God the moon starts singing when everyone is asleep and the planets throw a bright robe around their shoulders and whirl up close to her side once I asked the moon why do you and your sweet friends not perform so romantically like that to a larger crowd? And the whole sky chorus resounded. The admission price to hear the lofty minstrels speak of love is affordable only to those who have not exhausted themselves, dividing God all day and thus need rest. The thrilled tavern fiddlers who are perched on the roof do not want their notes to intrude upon the ears where an accountant lives with a sharp pencil, keeping score of words another in their great sorrow or sad anger may have once said to you. Hafez knows the sun will stand as your best man and whistle. When you have found the courage to marry forgiveness, when you have found the courage to marry love. Hmm. There's a lot happening in that poem. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm like, I wonder why you landed on that one. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I, I, I don't think anything is a coincidence. That's, that's what yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what, um, so what's, what, what are you taking away from the poem? Maybe we can uncover the, the timing of it. I think, um, I think what's standing out to me is the fact that, uh, you know, there is, there is beauty everywhere, but it's only visible to those who take the time to actually see it. Yeah. Um, the fact that, you know, most of us tend to be in a rat race running to nowhere. Mm. Um, so caught up in our lives and so kind of caught up in our own suffering that we can't see the beauty in everything that is happening, including the suffering, I think. So, um, yeah, I think it's a matter of perspective really. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what I what I love just about this poem specifically is um, the reference to all of the the non-human stuff, 
you know, the moon, the planets, all the celestial things. Um, and thinking about God as all these things, when we as humans want to make it like one thing, right? We tend to want mm. to make it like a certain being, you know, like the Christian God who is this father that's, you know, up on high looking down, or we want to make it, you know, we want to hold on to something instead of seeing that it's everywhere. I don't know, girl. I'm Hindu. We have like 333,000 gods. <laughs> so we make I everything know. We're about making everything a god or a goddess. I know. <laughs> I know. And I love that. I love that. Um, and, and I think for me, that is just a way to be able to make a connection with the divine, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have any judgments around like how people interact with the divine. It's more just what's working for you. Um, so I think, I think just this poem invites us to be still, you know, mm. and, and talking what you were saying as far as finding the beauty is just to be still and see what, what comes up. Um, the sun will stand as your best man and whistle when you have found the courage to marry forgiveness, when you have found the courage to marry love. Hmm. Those are both really hard things to do, actually. So yeah. those are journeys in themselves, forgiveness and love, both of them. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm starting this, like my, my own kind of yoga journey in all of it has been all about kind of trying to find, trying to find you know, love for myself. And it's been eight years and, you know, I'm a little bit closer, but uh, it's a, uh, it's a journey for sure. And it's a long one. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Just how you came to yoga or where you are now, or, I mean, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah, well, sure. Because I, mean, I know, I came to the, well, yeah. no, I just wanted to say, cause I know that um, recently you've been offering, um, sessions on self-love and so I'm curious about that and I want to I want to find out more about how you came to that offering so maybe we start from the mm -hmm. beginning as far as you want to yeah. go and <laughs> and share yeah well I mean I I haven't always been a yoga teacher I haven't always been on this path um, I came to yoga about eight years ago um, completely broken as a person I used to be uh, an art director in what feels like a different lifetime altogether for almost a decade. And um, yeah, I used to work in advertising and there was a real disconnect for me because somebody said this not too long ago and I feel like I exhaled when I heard it and they said, you know, just because you love art doesn't mean you have to be an artist. You know, and I, I absolutely agree with that. Like I love art and I thought I could change the world doing art, but then when it became commercial, it felt like I was selling my soul. Mm. So um, it kind of, you know, the, the kind of internal dilemma of like, you know, I need to earn money and this is the only way I know how, but it makes me really miserable and not knowing what else I could do um, kind of drove me down a very dark path. I kind of spiraled into addiction. I've got an addictive personality anyway. I struggled a lot with eating disorders growing up as well. But then they say, like, bulimia and alcoholism go really well together. Mm. So, um, and, you know, advertising in general, like, creative 
and advertising. There was a big green culture around that. Um, and so I, it kind of, you know, escalated and it got worse. And um, I got to a point where I had to pretty much either choose between taking a bottle into work every day for the rest of my life, which was the doctor had told me about six months um, or just to quit and, you know, choose to be different. And, uh, you know, the quitting part was not easy. It's, ne it's never been easy. I mean, I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to continue calling myself an alcoholic because the struggle is every day. The struggle is definitely every single day and I've relapsed a few times since as well, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. But um, yeah, so I think I found yoga. Yoga found me basically when I was kind of in a million pieces and I felt like it was one of those times when the universe kind of stripped me off all of my, you know, all of my cloaks, all of my identities and said, well, if you're not the perfect daughter, if you're not the perfect fiance, if you're not the perfect advertising art director, then who the hell are you? So, um, it felt like a rock bottom moment and, um, you know, I mean, uh, I chose to kind of roll out a mat and that was the only thing that I knew to do. And, uh, I did that for almost a year. I literally went to the studio. I did 90 minutes of a practice and I came back home and I went to sleep. So I pretty much lived that way for about a year and then I started painting again. And within like a two year period, I had kind of done enough paintings to kind of fill a gallery. So the art came back and I kind of fi finally felt like I found my path and my calling and my purpose at that point too. And I kind of went back into advertising, but just on my own terms to earn enough money to be able to put myself through my first teacher training, uh, my first yoga teacher training, and then kind of never looked back from there. So mm. yeah. Here I am. Are you so still teaching for about four and a half years now? Are you still painting? Yeah, well, I try. I've got paintings. Uh, I started. I've I've done a few. Like I've got uh, I've got a few things in the house that I've kind of done. Uh, nothing recent, but uh, that's that's my plan. Every every single month paints back out and uh, start doing it more so I think I was as I was telling you moving to be closer to the ocean I think I'm gonna definitely have more time for that when mm. I finally move I'll make space for that yeah oh my god yeah. so so awesome um so tell so tell me how the yoga has helped you um because a lot of people assume that yoga is a physical workout right um so maybe speak a little bit about about that yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are different limbs to the practice. It's an eight-limbed practice. Um, and generally, I find that a lot of people come to the practice through the physical route because I used to be like a complete gym rat. And I think there was a period in my life as well where I was going to the gym and I was doing yoga. I didn't want to let go of the gym because that, that was, again, a part of my identity. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. So um, eventually I did, and I'm so glad I did. But um, a lot of people come through that route, and I did too. I mean, up to this day, I would say I'm, a, I'm still into the physical practice. There is nothing that gives me the kind of hide that the physical practice does. But more and more, for me, like the physical stuff is not the end. It's the beginning of where I get to then kind of get rid of all the, you know, funky energy and then sit down to meditate. So meditation for me has become more and more like the most important part of my practice. So um, I did a Vipassana recently in, uh, in January. 
um, I've been wanting to start my new, like I've been wanting to start a new year on that note. And I'd never been to Sri Lanka. So I went to Sri Lanka for, for a Metta Vipassana, which is a heart, like a focus and heart opening. Mm. Uh, Vipassana is like a Buddhist technique. And I absolutely love Buddhism as well because I love Hinduism. I love the stories, the mythology. I love being brought up in that culture. But I feel like Buddhism is a religion that just doesn't ask. It tr tries not to give you any answers. It's all about questions. And that's what I, I really resonate with that. So, um, uh, yeah, so more and more meditation. I feel like that's kind of been, that's been my journey so far. Yeah, so the Vipassana, it's so funny. I saw, I saw you post about it afterwards on uh, social media and I was like, oh my God, I want to go. But what was that experience like for you? I mean, you know, did it, did you experience, and I know it's different for everybody and I haven't done one yet, but you know, COVID, but <laughs> But, you know, when, when it's possible, then, then, I mean, I know people can do it. They say they, that you can do it at home, but I got, you know, kids and stuff. Mm -mm. That's not going to work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Neha's like, yeah, uh-uh. Whoever's telling you that is lying. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't think we're at that place. I think you have to be, like, really into your practice, well on your way into your practice to be able to be able to, you know, meditate in all the crazy that we have going on around us. I think, um, you know, I mean, for me, it was going up into the mountains and the, the, the place was really important too, because we woke up and you were in nature and you realize that nature isn't quiet. It's quite loud because there are frogs and crickets and birds and, you know, dogs. And it's very, very loud, but it's like the pleasant kind of sound. It's not machines and motors and, you know, honking and, construction it's not that sound so it's interesting like vipassana is extremely observational like from observing your breath to observing your emotions to observing um sensations in the body to observing your reaction to certain sounds and things like that it's all very observational so it's less about transcending the physical body it's more about um embodiment um tara brock said this recently i'm doing one of her courses at the moment and she said you know like um in normal everyday life we live such we're so disconnected it's such there's such a huge amount of disembodiment and so a big part of the practice is just sitting and being in your own body and realizing yeah. what that means yeah so it was it was really beautiful and you also kind of realize how closely related your mind and body are because i remember the first three days of just the city the act of sitting for six hours and then we were walking for like two hours we did walking meditation for two hours but then sitting down and meditating for six hours oh my god the amount of pain that you have in your body and you know the teacher was really quick to point out as well that as long as the mind is is hurting the body will re reflect the same thing and yeah. once the mind began to quieten down the body pain automatically went away yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's amazing so it's it's fascinating. And then, and by the time you leave, like even just seven days of being there, by the time you leave, like greens are greener and pinks are pinker and you're looking out the window and you're not looking at your phone. Like you've, it's just the disconnect from like, you know, automatically just picking up your phone first thing in the morning and scrolling through Instagram. It's like the worst way to start your day. The worst. Totally. Totally. So just being able to completely disconnect from everything was uh was like a blessing for me and the non-talking part 
comes easy to me. Like I'm, I'm on many levels, I'm an introvert. I get my energy by spending time with myself. Yeah. So it almost took the, you know, like when you meet people for the first time as well, you get into this, like, it's not meaningful conversation that you have. It's like, you know, just this, not even mundane, but it's very superficial and without having to like talk because we actually in, all introduced ourselves on the last day. We didn't know each other. So we were walking around for seven days without knowing each other's names or anything. And so on the last day, on our last meal, we were allowed to talk. And so we introduced ourselves and everyone got to know each other for the very first time. So it was really nice. By, the, by that point, we'd spent like seven days together. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was amazing. It was really, really amazing. That's really interesting because I wonder if, like you said, on the last day we got to know each other, but don't you think that you got to know each other just by being in each other's presence? I think you got to know each other's energy, but then yeah. the thing is that you also realize that you pass judgments on people without knowing them, you know, like yeah. on their, on their appearance, on what they decide to do with their free time, you realize that your mind's already chatting to you about what this person is about. Yeah. Like you're like, Oh my God, this is not doing any <laughs> asana practice. They're so lazy. Like, you know, then the, that dialogue yeah. is happening in your head and you're like, wow, this is just nuts. Yeah. Especially because you're not, saying anything to anyone else the only person talking to you is you and sometimes what you're saying to yourself is quite quite awful <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's that so dialogue definitely comes to the surface as well oh my god that's so interesting because um so not only are you observing you know like bod bodily experiences right sensations and stuff you're also observing your mind but what's interesting oh, yeah. is is this part of the stories right is is the stories you invent about other people so what other stories are you inventing about yourself and then that last day of introductions like then you get proven wrong so then i i'm thinking back to what you said earlier in our conversation about identity and how your identity got stripped away um and so it's interesting just to observe the identities we create for other people based on, you know, like what we see rather than what we actually know about that person. I mean, I think we're conditioned to be this way, right? I mean, I live in Dubai and Dubai is one of the most superficial places on the planet. I mean, there is so much emphasis here on physicality mm. and how you look, how you present yourself. Like people, have made judgments about you like already before you've even opened your mouth people already look at you they see that you're brown that you got tattoos that you got your hair a certain way hmm. um you know that like they've already made up their mind like i mean you, like and we do that to each other we do that to each other all the time and you know i think we that's a that's a real that's a habit that we really need to unlearn really because we never give ourselves to actually know people fully and we're missing out on the, the opportunity to connect with people. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any suggestions on how to unlearn that stuff? I think, um, you know, I think Eckhart Tolle says this, and I really love that he says this because it's one of the most difficult things to do as well. But, you know, he says, when you, when you label some, somebody or something, you stop experience you stop experiencing it so even if you're mm. looking at a car you know um what if you had never seen a car before would you look at it the same way so if we don't label people as white or brown or black or you know hispanic and if we don't kind of prejudge them then wouldn't we be more open and more curious to know who they actually were 
So it's just constantly checking yourself out of that habit of just going into autopilot mode, you know, and saying, yep, I see that this person is so-and-so. I'm not even interested to say hello and see what they're about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel that we need to stop. Yeah. I feel like that autopilot mode is, is something that you're, you're spot on about because, because of the world that we live in now, everything, and this goes back to what you're saying about being disembodied, you know, the Tara Brock, you know, course and the teachings that she's offering is that we're so like, I mean, the pandemic and the, the quarantine and stuff has just further emphasized that kind of disembodiment because everyone's, you know, interacting on Zoom or, you know, messaging or whatever, like no one's physically present with each other anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that poses an extra level of challenge, I think, to, um, to unlearn some of these autopilot habits. <laughs> so do we have any hope for the human race now? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, you know, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship. Like, I mean, for me, you know, even Instagram is, is a way to kind of do business. And, you know, on one level, I get to connect with people that I don't see in person, and that's wonderful. But on so many other levels, like, it just feels like the more technology we, ha we have in our lives, the less and less interaction we have with actual people. Yeah. And for me, nothing can, nothing can replace human contact. You know, um, right. walking into a shala and rolling out a mat and breathing and moving with other people and sharing energy. Like there is no way to replace that with an app. Like there's no way, you yeah. know, we can do things to make it more convenient. That's our action. And we, on our most basic level, are social beings you know, and the rates of, you know, the, the rates of depression and, you know, people that you with on Instagram and Facebook, they're not your friends. Like, that's not what friendship is. You know, it's catching up with somebody in person, actually making the time to really see how somebody's doing and spend time with people like that. That element seems to be going away more and more as we get, you know, we get busier. And I'm, I'm guilty of that too. You know? Yeah we get and that's part of cities i think as well it's just this idea that you need to jump on the hamster wheel and run with everybody else. it doesn't make it right it just doesn't make it right yeah right right so hope there is hope we just need to start becoming a little bit more aware of what we're doing yeah yeah and i think and i think the work that um that you and i do in in the yoga world is the start um it's, it's now about sort of moving outside of that because, you know, everyone, you know, once, once the quarantine was like in place, everyone's like, yeah, I can't interact with anybody. All the yoga studios are shut down. Um, let's all move to zoom. Now I will say initially that was like a weird experience, you know, where it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. But what I appreciated was that everyone showed up at the same time. So there was some kind of energy happening, even though it was digitally. And then my home studio began um, a few weeks ago holding outdoor classes. And I went and it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been missing. And, it, and it's like, I didn't know half the people in the class, but the fact that we were together, even at you know, our social distancing you know, spheres, just energetically, it made a difference. Um, so you're, you know, yeah. you're, right, you're right about all that stuff. So how do we, what do we do in the pandemic times? 
I think, um, I don't know. I think, you know, Zoom is probably our best bet, the way we're doing things at the moment. We don't have very much of a choice. Um, but just, um, I would say, you know, just, I mean, for me, in a lot of ways, again, Zoom has been really great because I get to actually practice with you. I mean, when would I ever have dreamt that you and I would be practicing handstands together, you know? Right. So in a way, it's kind of connected me with people that I really would have lost contact with had I only been in Dubai. So it's kind of opened up my world as well in terms of teaching and being able to reach out to all of my, all of my friends and students and fellow practitioners all around the world. Um, so it's, it's not the worst thing, I don't think. And uh, I can totally see it continuing on for, for at least a little while before people go back to being purely physical. Um, but yeah, just be more mindful, you know? I mean, Zoom is great, but then after I've taught about four classes on Zoom, I don't want to look at another screen at all. I don't want to look at my phone, you know? So it's a lot of screen time as well. But then like definitely go offline and go hang out with people if you can. Go give somebody a hug, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I think it's all about balance, really. Yeah, and balance is key. Balance is key. And and I and I love that you brought balance into that because, well, you know, handstands. But um what I love <laughs> and it's so funny, I said I said before we started recording, we're not gonna talk about handstands, but here we are, like me wanting to talk about handstands. Not so much <laughs> about the about the physical aspect of it, but how it it is um a really for me, uh for those that are listening, I've been I've been working with Neha on on working on my handstands. Uh, for me, the experience has been um, a really great way of embodying um, just this idea of like switching up the perspective, right? Like literally. Um, but also I feel that I'm trying to find that balance. Um, so if you can find the physical balance, there is the, the hope possibly of finding balance in one's life. Um, and so I, yeah, I just really appreciate the work that, that you're, that I, you know, you're doing with me and, and the other folks in the, in the class. Yeah. But having said that too, I mean, you're putting in the work and you know, it's going to be able to find, but it's not, you got to work at it and work at it and work at it. And um, five years in, I'm still working on it. So it's uh, it's a very fine that you walk and time on either side. So it's a constant work in progress. Yeah, because uh, you and I both know, like you can find it and then you lose it just as as just as instantly. Yeah. So um, it's a constant work in progress, on and off your hands. Let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sometimes I'm not, I'm not good balancing on my feet, so. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly, me too. Yeah, yeah, and, and I love this reminder that it is a work in progress, because I know that a lot of us um, out there tend to put so much pressure on ourselves to achieve things, to, mm. you know, to, and then once you achieved it, you know, quote unquote achieved it, then, then you can do it repeatedly like you can repeat that same result over and over again and that's not possible because mm. everything is changing everything is in progress it's constantly moving um but i wanted to uh, absolutely yeah absolutely i think uh, go ahead no absolutely i i think you know that's the only constant isn't it like i i i look back on how 
diligent I used to be about my practice, my handstand practice. I've gotten a lot, um, you know, I kind of want it less than I, than I used to. Um, I work on it less because there are other parts of my practice that have become more important to me. Mm. So change is always part of the equation and we only have 24 hours and trust me, like you're talking to a high achieving perfectionist. So like not getting things right doesn't sit very well with me at all. So, um, you know, that's been a huge learning for me as well, because one thing that I really, really love about handstands is that it teaches you about um, falling and it teaches you about failure and they're not the same thing. You know, falling is a great, um, is a big part of learning. Um, if you don't fall, you don't ever learn how to get back up. And this is, you know, something that, that brought me to my mat as well. It was the, you know, that's probably why I would, I would say like, I would never ever do my life any other way because I am where I am because of all the things I've gone through and the failures that I've been through as well. So then my greatest, um, my greatest learning moments. You know, I, um, I heard one of my teachers say, as far as the falling part, cause that's really important is, is like, you don't learn anything unless you do fall. But what, what's interesting, and he pointed this out, which I didn't even, I was like, oh my God, that's the light bulb moment. Um, a lot of us are in fear of falling. So what we do is we do all we can to not fall, right? So for example, like, you know, that saying, if you, if you fall off a horse, you get back on, right? But we work so, so hard, hard to not fall off the horse that we don't learn anything because we're preventing the learning moment of falling to happen. So let's say, you know, and I think, and I see this in my own um, handstand practice, you know, so for, for like um, the tuck entry, for those of you that are handstand people, <laughs> um, what, I, what I notice about myself is this fear of falling. Um, so I am more cautious about going into that entry um, because I'm trying to avoid falling instead of allowing myself to fall. And that's a lot more work to avoid than to just like yeah. do it and fall and, you know, and get used to it. So, um, so I thought that that was a really small detail that I'd learned from that. I was like, Oh, everyone is preventing, like working hard at avoiding falling because we all hear oh, yeah. that, you know, we all hear that if you fall, get back up, but nobody actually wants to fall. So the no, invitation I mean, is, why don't you go ahead and fall? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think, but that's it. Like, look around you. Everyone's striving to be the best at whatever they're doing. There's no room for error. You know, like there is so yeah. much competition. There are so many people in the world. They're equally good at what, you know, at doing things as you are. Like, there is no room for error. You show weakness. And people think, you know, I mean, the, the, I guess the impression is that falling is weakness. And nobody wants to show weakness. So it's... um it is the way things are at the moment is it's the way the way that we're brought up we're brought up to kind of there is no there's no positive reinforcement for failure or falling there's only positive reinforcement for getting good grades and you know coming first the person yeah. who comes last never gets anything so you know there's yeah. no reinforcement for kind of learning from your mistakes there is no room for mistake right right and then how, if there's no room for mistake then how do you learn anything right exactly um, exactly you just learn from books, not by doing. <laughs> that's not exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. not exactly a, a 
a very whole like big picture kind of learning. So, um, you know, when you said if you're not first, I was thinking, do you, you have you ever seen that movie Talladega Nights? It's a, a Will Ferrell movie about NASCAR. I've heard of it. There's yeah. there's one yeah, there's this one it. there's this one line. So uh, the main character, he's you know a race car driver, and he's got daddy issues or whatever. But it, they show that his dad has enforced this idea yeah. and this this phrase: if you're not first, you're last, right? And it's really funny in the movie, mm. but in reality, that's that's that sucks. But it's also a reality that a lot of us live. You know this mentality of yeah. like if you're not first then you know what's it matter like you don't count i remember jerry seinfeld said that in one of his stand-ups as well you know he was talking about the olympics and he was talking about like training your ass off like years and years and years and like if you don't get the gold medal nobody ever remembers you you know like you sacrifice a lot of your life and if you come second, you're like, great. I was the first of all the losers. You know, it's like nobody ever remembers the person who came in second. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of pressure to be the best at, what, at the thing that you do. You know, it's either like, well, if I'm not going to be great at it, I'm not even going to attempt it. Right. And if you look at children, like, don't, I don't know at what age we start to behave this way. Because then all you end up doing is you create this huge, you keep confining yourself in a zone and that zone gets smaller and smaller because you stop experimenting with life. And like, life is one big experiment. Like you're supposed to get out there and learn. How do you learn if you don't allow yourself any room to, to make a mistake or you know, to get things wrong once or twice before you learn the right way to do things? Like you just keep confining yourself to the smaller and smaller space of perfection. And then you keep existing in that place and you never really grow. Yeah. So, and then that goes and that goes back to the the identity question, right? Like what happens if that thing that you've been working on perfecting suddenly gets taken away? Then, you know, mm -hmm. then what happens? You know, then who are you? And so it ends up being more damaging than um than we initially expect. That's funny because I, you know, I thought I'd learned all the lessons that I had to when I stopped practicing yoga. And, um, you know, obviously I hadn't. So life gave me another set of twists. Like I ended up for two years, my, my, my hands are now normal. Like when you saw me, when you met me on the training as well, I don't know if you noticed, but my hands were like a little bit swollen and my nails were all grimy and weird. They were growing out all weird because I had psoriasis. And mm -hmm. um, it was basically my body still telling me that I need to chill the hell out, like just chill out and you know stop stressing stop worrying um you know just have faith that things will work out the way they need to just build a better relationship with my body and stop abusing it so basically i had stopped drinking but i was still abusing my body in in you know in in in, a, in summary so you know i think you know life just keeps life i think it works in cyclical way right if you haven't learned the lesson you'll be put through the ringer again and again and again so you do it just is the way it is yeah so um it's just interesting it's really really interesting yeah just because you change the just because you change the scene or like the city or the you know the people around you or the you habit change yourself like or the habit yeah you literally be in the same situation yeah yeah totally if the change doesn't come from like deep deep within with awareness 
then you're going to keep getting that lesson fed to you until you get it right. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that sucks because if, if you're not someone who's aware of these things, you're going to keep repeating that cycle for, for, for the rest of your life, basically, you know, like people ask, yep. like, why do I keep dating the same man or whatever it is? It's because you still haven't learned the lesson about, you know, how not to attract that person or how not to choose that person. Um, I mean, that's just an example. Exactly. It, it shows up in different ways, you know. Um, no, it's true. It's just, totally uh, right. yeah, I love, I love, um, I love how you brought that in as well with the idea of experimenting, right? Because if, we're learning the same lesson over and over again, it means we're not getting the message that we can live a different life, that we have the power yes. to choose differently and experiment with life differently. Um, you know, you mentioned children and, you know, I have three kids and I'm like, when did they start? Like, when did they stop playing? We'll put it that way, mm. you know? And exactly. yeah, and I want to, I want to say, um, it's probably around 10 years old, although like psychologists, child psychologists might say earlier. Um, but for my kids, it's around 10 when they, they, they stop playing in the experimental kind of way, you know, mm. where they start just like, this is what I do. I go to school or I, you know, go to swim practice or I do this. Um, or I just, you know, sit on a screen and watch YouTube videos or whatever. There's no sense of exploration, which you know, for me, it's like killing me. So I keep trying to like, Hey guys, let's do this. Let's do that. And they're like, <laughs> but I'm hoping even if I get that response, that those seeds will be planted for whenever, you know, they're adults and then they'll remember to, to play. Um, you know, you can't unhear things. <laughs> That's what I like to say. I mean, I think, you know, as a parent, I think the one thing that I think I, you know, as a, as a practitioner as well, what I've realized over the course of my journey is that I've had to unlearn so many behaviors that I've kind of imbibed as a child. And, you know, I think, I mean, I love my parents. They did the best that they could um, with the knowledge that they had and the resources that they had. I've never been lacking ever. They've given me everything I've ever wanted. Um, but there are a lot of habits that I, you know, that I see now in my, in my parents that I know that I, uh, I have now unlearned or mm. I'm working on unlearning, but yeah. you know, I was brought up in an environment and so I picked those things up. So as parents, if you, you know, if you got children, you have to be so careful about conducting yourself in the way that you do, because that's what your kids are going to pick up on. And that's, that's what they're going to do as well. So, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, my parents were like, well, please, you know, don't, you're not going to take a year off. You're going to go straight to university. They allowed me to pick whatever I wanted to do. They supported me in every way, always. But uh, there was a lot of like fear-based choices that we made, you know, just because, you know, I, I listened to them and they didn't know any better. So yeah. it, I'm not blaming them for anything. Again, things have worked out perfectly just the way they've had to. But um, yeah, just, I mean, as a parent, you really owe it to your kids to be extremely aware of how you behave and how you conduct yourself and even saying the word no, because um, that can lead to like just walls being kind of built in certain ways, you know? Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because it's, it's um, there's a few different layers to that because there's, there are the parents who are not aware, right? There are those who just mm -hmm. like, you know, they're not even aware that they're repeating the patterns that they inherited from their parents. Right. But then there are parents like me who are aware, right? And are, and I'm working to, um, to break 
what I will call generational patterns, um, mm. you know, of, of thinking, of behaving. And, and you know, I, I'm going to say like my parents and, and generations back, no idea what they, what they, how they were behaving and why. But I see yeah. patterns, right? And even though I'm aware of that, and I know that what I model for them and what I, what I teach my kids, there are times when it's hard to like fully break away from that pattern when you're in the heat of the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so for example, like money stories, you know, there's like, everyone's got their money story. And, and so I've been working on my own money story and I'm being mindful of not transferring or passing down this, this narrative of, you know, I can't afford it or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. To them. So I, what I, what I do though, is because it's so ingrained, it's so automatic. I find that I have to backtrack, you know? So like, mm -hmm. you know, for example, my kid wants, uh, wants this. And I told you this before we started recording this bench for her, for her and her sister's bedroom. And my instinct was to say, we can't afford it right now. But I was mm. like, no, I can't say that. I have to think about a different way to say that. And, and, I, and I said something like, okay, well, we have to save money for that. Or, you know, we have to plan for that. Or, you know, something where that idea of scarcity isn't brought into, you know, their thinking and their relationship with money. Yeah. But I'm going to yeah. say that that's not perfect because, you know, I mean, my middle kid is 12. And so over the 12 years, I'm, what I'm seeing in her relationship with money is that there's still some hints of the old patterns in there. So I'm trying to work mm. at, at doing that. So it's not, um, it's not easy breaking patterns. <laughs> I know, but that's what, that's why I think, you know, as you said about the awareness, I think that's where, again, meditation is so useful because you stop reacting and you stop responding even yeah. to your own even to your own habits you know even for me like it's weird i went because i went to dermatologist and they completely ruined my body uh with steroids and stuff but then i went to i've been working with a homeopath for the past year and a half and you know she's literally helped me heal my body mm. and she said because my my psoriasis was on my hands as well it was just local on my hands mm. and um it was worse actually on my right hand and according to her the right hand is um you know representative of your relationship with work mm. and she said when the psoriasis is actually on your hands it's specifically about your relationship with money wow. so even I come, you know, I mean, I think, you know, even as much as I feel like I live with my palms open and I'm really bad at managing money, I say that, but um, I still have, you know, there's a part of me that always worries and stresses about never having enough and yeah. I need to change the narrative as well. So yeah. that's currently what I'm working on too, because otherwise my go-to in terms of like, if I don't feel like I'm living up to my own expectations, then my then my way of kind of dealing with it is to punish my body. So I'll over practice, yeah. I'll over workout, I'll, you mm. know, previously it would be binging and throwing up or drinking a bottle of whatever, you mm. know, so I've always gone back to like punishing my physical body. Yeah because I'm not able to live up to my own expectations or other people's expectations. So, you know, that yeah. needs to definitely change. Yeah. yeah. That awareness is so, is so important to see because, you know, there are some people that, you know, what they do is they go hide in a screen, you know, or they hide somewhere else, you know, they hide in a notebook, but the fact that you've recognized that it's in your body, that you um, manifest the frustration. Now you have a place to start, right. And a place to, to work on. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it is all about awareness, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the things I think people need to understand about meditation. It's not like sitting on a cushion and then like suddenly you're floating like six, six inches off the floor. Might. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, I mean, if people understood that meditation is really just about creating more awareness, maybe more people would do it. Maybe. I think that's it. like any of these any of these things that you cultivate, right? Whether it's meditation, whether it's your yoga practice, whether it's handstands, you're not, the, the important part isn't the sitting on the cushion, the practice of asana on the mat, the, the fact that you're taking pictures for Instagram, that, that's not the stuff that you're doing this for. You're doing this for the lessons. Like right. the real practice of yoga is actually what you do in your life off your mat. The real practice of meditation is the awareness that you have you know, off your cushion. The real practice for a hand, uh, of handstands is all the, like for me for spe uh, specifically, is all the courage I've built, all the, like the relationship that I've now got with fear that used to be so toxic and negative is now like a kind of BFF kind of relationship. I want fear in my life mm. because when I have fear in my life, it means that there is still somewhere left to go in terms of um, evolution. There is still something like left to explore. There is still some something, some rock that's been on, you know, that hasn't been turned over. So it's kind of like becoming a better person because, and using these all these things as tools rather than like thinking that you're going to meditate for you know half an hour a day and I don't know, like that's going to be it. That's just not that's not the point. You're missing the point. Right. Completely. Right. Right. I love, um, I love what you just said because I, um, yeah, I'm just in, in agreement with, with everything you said something. And then I was like, so like, yes, yes, yes. And then my mind went, boom. And I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> something you said. Lessons. The yoga, like, you know, COVID is a great example. Like we, we can, as teachers as well, you know, this, I mean, we can preach, we preach so much. Like I, sometimes I've said things in classes that I don't imbibe myself and I feel like such a hypocrite but like this situation that we're in with the with the COVID and the change and you know everything that's happening the fact that we're kind of for me for example like I you know in the beginning I lost my main source of income and then suddenly it's about well now that you don't have the money what do you think about this relationship that you have with money have you have you been working on it is it better now like it's just the universe is always challenging you to rise to the occasion to actually practice the yoga that you've been doing on your mat this is the practice this is the real practice yeah. this is the real practice yeah yeah so, and i i appreciate that that's yeah yeah it's not the it's not the you know the the challenging twisty posture that you do on your mat it's the now you're in a real difficult situation can you breathe are you able to breathe? Are you able to sit with it? Are you able to be with it? Can you deal with the suffering? What's your attitude towards it now? Has the yoga actually worked? Yeah. This is the find out. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think is the big key because um, one of my teachers said the same thing. It's like, you know, as soon as this whole pandemic hit and everyone was in quarantine, now it was like, now's the time your yoga is being put to the test. Have you yeah. been doing the yoga that is beyond just a physical workout, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's physically challenging at times, but what is that, what is that doing? What is that teaching you? What is, you know, um, what's happening in your body as these poses are, you know, these shapes that you're taking? Um, 
but I just, I don't know. I, I would like to hear like a poll of the, of the world. How's your yoga holding up for you? <laughs> Are you doing it? Are you using your yoga? Um, yeah. It's really, yeah. It's, I mean, I feel like this whole, this whole situation is a big, um, is a big test. And a lot of people have been talking about how like, well, some, some people in like more esoteric communities are like, you know, this is, this is the, the, the moment that we've, we divide between the, those who are aware and those who are not. <laughs> but, you know, but I think a lot, of, a lot of people, I feel like uh, a lot of people have gotten into the practice as well, because the gyms are not open and there are a lot of other things that are unavailable. You're not able to go out for a run. Um, you're not able to go outside as freely as you would be able to earlier so i think a lot of people i feel like my mom says this all the time she's like it's a time of ascension it really does feel like you know you're being forced to rise to the occasion and raise your vibration in a lot of ways so i think i think a lot of people have found yoga in this time weirdly enough yeah so yeah it's, it's been good it's been good yeah totally totally good and this has been good um I really, I really appreciate you sharing your, um, your experience with yoga, but also giving us some teachings to, to walk away with, to, to questions to think about, because I, I feel like when people understand yoga and meditation, they, they dismiss it. You know, those that are not familiar with it, they just kind of dismiss it as like this new age thing or whatever. Um, but I think what your mom is, is saying is, is right on where the, maybe those people who have dismissed yoga and meditation are now like oh maybe maybe there's something else to it that that i wasn't aware of because now i gotta stay home and all these other weird things are happening maybe i should go check it out um and so while it is a time of ascension it's it's a lot more people are rising to the occasion pun intended yeah. no it's great it's really great it's really, really great. I've been getting so many requests from beginners to like do beginner classes and stuff like that. And mm. you know, I want to put that together as well, just because I would love to bring in more people, bring more people into the fold. Um, Cause it is a beautiful journey. And you know, I think uh, it can be so useful in so many ways. I don't like for me, I, I you know, I, I, sometimes I walk away from my yoga practice and go do other things and put my focus and pour my physical awareness into something else. But I always come back to my mat. Like my mat to me is like home. There is nothing that gives me the kind of peace of mind and the quiet that met like that, um, that my yoga practice does. So nothing can replace it. No other movement practice can do for me what yoga does for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. beautiful. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> woman after my own heart i feel the same way <laughs> um so to to close our our episode today do you have a poem you'd like to share i do i do um the the the, the poem is written by somebody who doesn't kind of give their name but it's mm. uh, it says eh i've had this poem on my phone for years mm. um but I want to say Ernest Hemingway, but I know it's not. It's somebody else. Okay. Um, but they don't, they don't tell their name. So okay. it's, uh, it's called Dandelion. And mm -hmm. it goes a little bit like this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, they said. You're a dandelion in the breeze. Look what the winds have done to all the autumn leaves. Hold on, hold. this big wide world is not for you. 
hold on for long enough for the last gust to dance on through. So I held on, held on, held on. They said that's wrong. When I wilted, did I notice something was wrong? I thought holding on was bravery, but when winds of change do blow, sometimes it's even braver still to let go, let go, let go. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so funny because as you were reading it, I was like, I wonder if it's going to let go. <laughs> yeah. I love that poem because I feel like time and time again, I've been asked to kind of redefine myself. And I feel like it truly is the only constant. I feel like the only way to continue evolving is to, um, you know, just not take anything for granted and continue to tip your cup over and let go of the stuff that doesn't matter anymore, that doesn't resonate with you anymore. So you can continue to grow, evolve and redefine yourself. So the more you're able to kind of live with your palms wide open, life just kind of passes through versus trying to hold on to parts of yourself. And that's what creates suffering, I think. Yeah, 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 definitely the clinging. But, uh, but the letting go, like what possibilities are available to you, you know, you don't know until you open up some space for the new stuff to come in. So, uh, oh, Neha, so good. So good. Thank you so much. Um, I really, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your time with me. Um, so for everyone out there listening to close the episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Until next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. On Sundays at 5.30 p.m. at Onyx Yoga Studio in Warren, New Jersey, join me for yoga and meditation for people of color. Come experience the nourishing power of this ancient practice where you can get back in touch with your body after so much screen time and to really reconnect with your soul self. In this class, you will enter a safe, sacred space, be able to let your guard down, practice yoga according to your abilities in this multi-level class. Super beginners are always welcome. Experience the benefit of meditation, such as relieving stress and anxiety, and enjoy being in a community with other people of color. So come, take time to truly care for yourself. Come restore with me and begin to live your best life now.